good here. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. So we do it. So yesterday, LeBron James passed Kobe Bryant for number three on the all-time scoring list. Some people are now officially calling him the GOAT. No. LeBron James is a ram. He's not a GOAT. He's the ram. Wisdom. You're young. Wisdom. Wisdom comes with age and scripture. All right. You know, <clears throat> the funny thing about preaching through uh, a book of the Bible or like sections of scripture and, you know, breaking it down in sections is this reality. Like you you always forget what's in the background of what you're reading. So, you know, weeks go by. And I'm sure now I'm, I'm convinced that when the writers of scripture wrote scripture, they didn't stop in sections like we do. Right. But it wouldn't be helpful to try to teach even a whole chapter in a way that would be meaningful. I mean, obviously, you can do it. Thirty thousand feet. You can speak to what the Bible says. But we break it down in passages of scripture, trying to capture at least sort of an idea or a thought that the person who wrote the scripture, in our case this morning, the Apostle Paul, we're trying to capture sort of the idea of what he wrote and stay in that frame. And sometimes we stop at certain places where we can keep going, but we also do that because it's beneficial for those of us who listen and those of us who teach these to make sure that we can handle some of the theology that's in the actual passage. But the challenge with teaching like that is you often forget what's in the background. You approach the passage as if it's a new passage. This is a, a new Sunday. We just sang some new songs. It's new fellowship. There's new people in this room. There's a lot of new going on. And so we approach the Bible as if the passage is somehow new and disconnected from what we've read previously. But that's never the case, especially when you go through the Bible. Now, if this were a topical series, and if I were kind of going in a lot of different directions, and it could be new in that sense. But this passage today is, is connected. So in order for us to really jump into what this is saying, it's important to remember what is in the background before we jump into this passage. Because this is not one of the passages that we read and it clearly makes sense to us. In fact, a lot of people struggle with the Bible because you read things and you're just like, uh, sure. Okay. And a lot of times when you preach, you're like, uh, please, Lord, show me something. Or you go to a commentary. You're like, okay, I like what he says here. Let me check another commentary. Oh, here's a little bit different. Let me check another commentary. And you realize they are great men with more knowledge than you, but they might come from a different perspective than you do. Because you can never preach the Bible and not also preach your church. You see, if I just get up here and say what this says, 
I have to think about who you are and how does this affect you? How does this affect me? So it's not an easy thing. So in order for us to jump into this passage so we can see who we are and what it's saying to who we are, let's remember what's in the background. What is in the background? So our passage today is Romans 8, specifically 23 through 27. I'm going to I'm going to pick up where we left off, though, at the verse 22, just to give us a little bit more context. But to do that, let's remember what's in the background. So Romans 8 is the life in the spirit passage, right? This is describing New Testament Christianity, right? It's, it's when it's at this point in the book of Romans where it sort of turns the corner and, and God, God speaking through Paul gives us instructions on how to live as, as Christians. And we start hearing about the spirit and living in the spirit. And there's this contrast between the mind of the flesh, those are people who do not desire to worship God, and the mind of the spirit, people who have accepted Jesus Christ and desire to worship God, and the way that those people think, and it creates these dichotomies between these two people. And it's trying to show us, okay, if you're a Christian, then you have the spirit of God in you, and this is what's happening. If you're not a Christian, then you actually can't please God because your mindset isn't, isn't conditioned to do so. But if you are a Christian, even though at times you disobey God, your desire is to please God. So you actually do so. It's. hmm. So we get into this world of like the spirit now is introduced to us and it can be challenging, right? Because the spirit, we often want the spirit to almost be always tangible. You know, you know how the force now, you watch a lot of Star Wars, and the Force would just be like, use the Force, Luke. And then you'd just be like, oh, for y'all, most of y'all, it's not Luke, it's Ray. Y'all, I'm, I'm old school. I'm, I'm an OG, so. But it's like, you know, the Force, and all of a sudden, the rock floats up and flies across. Or he crushes someone's trachea. When's the last time you heard trachea in a message? English, English majors are like, that's, that's all right, that's my dude. <laughs> and we want, we want the spirit to be like that, right? Like the spirit, we want the spirit to kind of function like the force. We just got to tap into it. And we almost act like people who are godly or who are prayer warriors. We even give them an adjective, super godly, right? These are people who have tapped into the spirit. So it's like, they don't even, they just open the Bible up without even thinking. The Bible just opens to a certain chapter. <laughs> and they just sort of hover over it and read. And the rest of us are trying to figure out, man, what do I read today? Like, what do I? And then we just think some people just have like, <laughs> and it just opens to the passage, and then God tells them what to do, and then life is beautiful. But for the rest of us, it's like, man, there was this one day I really felt like the Lord really spoke to me. I felt this sense of like His presence, and I haven't felt that for some time. Is something wrong with me? And so there's this. This, this weird dichotomy that we, we live in this world where we have the spirit, but we don't always feel the spirit. So we question or not if we do have the actual spirit. But then Paul is informing us that, you no, know, if you all believe in Jesus Christ, the spirit is in you. So this idea comes in. And then he starts talking about, look, we're not obligated to the flesh, meaning we're not, we don't have to do what our sinful desires require of us. There are attitudes and actions that are 
not pleasing to God. And sometimes we've done them so long, it feels automatic, right? It just feels like I, I, can't, I don't know how to fight this. I don't know how to not do this. But, but he says because of the spirit, you have the desire and the ability to obey God. You're not obligated. You don't have to live according to those desires, even though they're strong. So he brings this reality in that the spirit is there. And we start to realize that the fact that we resist anything at all is not us, because if it were up to me, I would pursue the pleasure that I can see. I would not resist that for the pleasure that I can't see or somehow find pleasure and not giving it something that feels good to me. So we see this happening, this reality of this suffering that we experience. And then this idea of suffering starts to come in. And this is, this is pervasive throughout scripture, but there's a sense of like, somehow we think that Christianity means that God is kind of, as Ann talked about, has this nice, beautiful pasture with these, with these borders, these, these hedges to protect us from anything that will hurt us. And then when stuff happens, when a fox actually jumps over the fence and eats some of the livestock, we're like, what happened? It's like, and all of a sudden, we realize, wait a minute, that fence is knocked down. And I'm not talking about what Ann's talking about. I'm talking about our reality of thinking nothing is going to harm us because God is going to protect us. That's what I think it's knocked down. You start to go through some things, and you think, wait a minute, what is going on? And then you realize, wait a minute, suffering is a part of the kingdom. It's a part of experiencing God now to see him and be with him later. And so he brings this idea that that if we suffer with Christ, we will also see the glory. And he realizes that suffering is a challenging concept. This is not a challenging concept for people who live in the West. It's a challenging concept for people who live. This wasn't written to the Western church. This were written to people who were already suffering. And he's saying, embrace it. Because when you suffer, that's not worth being compared to the glory that you're going to see. And then he introduces this idea that creation, the world around us, is also suffering because of sin. And the world we live in, so God created us to to manage and be stewards of this world. And so not only are we affected with sin, but so is creation. And he says, creation desires to see God redeem his people. Creation desires to see who are the true sons of God. Because when that happens, when Jesus talked about, I've come to restore all things. Then that's what will take place. And he says, creation is groaning, this sigh of disappointment. This is in the background. Don't forget what's in the background. Don't forget what's in the background. Because kingdom, suffering, glory is all connected. It's in the background of the passage that we're going to read now. Romans 8, I'm going to begin in verse 22 and conclude in verse 27. Reading from the CSB translation, and I quote, For we know that the whole creation 
has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us within unspoken within with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You see what I mean? Uh, well, let's zoom in. So picking up where we left off in, in, in verse 22, it just says the whole creation has been groaning. So we looked at the analogy of women for their, their role in sin coming into the world, Eve giving Adam, her husband, the fruit, then biting it, disobeying God. It says that you will experience labor pains. So there's a sense of groaning that's realistic there. Anyone who's had a child can attest, can attest to that. If it wasn't painful, it was a miracle. But the reality is, it's just saying creation is growing, kind of showing this intrinsic connection between creature and creation. There's a sense where the labor pains are growing inside women who give birth to babies and say creation is growing, waiting for the children to come forth. Creation is waiting to be redeemed, to not have the effects of sin all over it. And we talked about that last week. But what's interesting about this phrase is that Paul says creation is looking forward to eternity, even if people are not. So he gives it creation is looking forward to eternity. The trees, the grass, the wind, the fields, other animals, creatures, they're looking forward to eternity, even if people are not. And then he begins verse 23. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Oh. So he says creation is waiting and groaning. And he says not only that, not that being true, but we ourselves are also groaning. But he says this, we have the spirit as the first fruits. That's not a phrase to just read over. We ourselves have the spirit of God. So capital S. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God has said, I'm putting in you as the first fruits. Now, in the Old Testament, you go to like Leviticus and you'll hear something like this. Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them. When you enter the land I am giving you and reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. He will present it 
He will present the sheep before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest is to present it on the day after the Sabbath. So this idea of first fruits in the Old Testament was as the crop comes in that the Lord has provided, you take the first of it and you give it, present it to the Lord. And they did that, one, as a responsibility to give to God the first of the crops as gratitude for him providing the crops. But it was also, it was also a foretaste of the other crops that were coming. So it wasn't like, hey, take up everything I've given you and give it right back. Just take the first of it. Give it to me. The rest of it belongs to you. Belongs to you. You are to take care of it. But it was also sort of an illustration for the crops. God didn't need the crops. What it was about was to give of their lives. It was a it was a measure of obedience. Like, yeah, we trust you, Lord. We're we're going to give you the first fruits, even though, man, these are the best looking berries that we've grown in a long time. Well, these belong to the Lord. And don't think for a moment that people weren't like, man. There were some women back then with a green thumb that were like, man, look at these lilies. Man. Husband, how about we uh, keep these and give the next batch to the Lord? It's like, nah. These. Well, you just don't like lilies anyway. Don't think that didn't happen. <laughs> this giving first fruits to the Lord was, a, was an illustration. It was an analogy of give your life the first. God is first in your life. Give God the first because he's first. And then you have the rest. But in this passage, in Romans 8, God says we have the spirit as the first fruits. So this isn't something that we give to God. God is saying this is something I'm giving to you. This is the first fruits. In other words, This is a taste of what is yet to come. I'm not asking you to give me the first fruit. I'm telling you, I'm giving you the first fruits of the spirit, a taste of the spirit. There's a different. A different situation working here. Now, here's a challenge. Well, I don't always feel the spirit. So what's the what's the taste? What's the taste of the spirit, of the first fruits? What does that mean? Practically. Not theologically, theoretically, practically. What does that mean? How do I know that's true? Well, he goes on. He goes on to highlight this reality that we groan within ourselves. We groan because we have the spirit as the foretaste. We groan like creation because we desire something more than this. So we groan. Now, you know what groan means? Groan 
simply means to, to indicate pain, discomfort, or displeasure. But it's almost always inarticulate. Almost always. So what is he saying here? What's the foretaste? You ever gone to a, a Christian conference and just been around nothing but believers and for four days you just sang and you worshiped? And you just feel like, man, this is like heaven. And then when it's over, you come back to the real world. <laughs> right? And it's like temptation was like, hey, they, they, just, they just pulled up. <laughs> you didn't have any issues for four days. Your anxiety was gone. Anger was gone. All of that was gone. And as soon as you get home, it's like, hey, get ready. When they flush the toilet, let it overflow. When they flick on the light, it didn't work. All this stuff starts to happen. But there's a moment where you just get this taste of like, man, this is heaven. Or you just read your Bible and you just have a sweet time with the Lord. And it doesn't happen every time, right? As a matter of fact, we're chasing that desire. That's a taste from God. This is a taste of what eternity is going to be like with me. So he says, whatever you're going through, whatever you're suffering, it's not worth comparing to the rest of the taste. It's a taste. It's a taste. And because we've tasted that, because we've tasted that reality, we can groan at the fact that we're not consistently in that reality. We may not actively think, man, I can't wait to have a new body. I mean, I may think that. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> but we may not functionally think that way, but there's, some, there's a longing that's there that doesn't just come from me because I didn't have this longing before I knew the Lord. Because we've gotten a taste. Why do you think you cry at certain songs. You sang those songs 10, 20 times and have never cried. But today, that song hits different. Why is the scripture that you've read over and over, all of a sudden, today, it seems like, man, the Lord put that in there for me. This verse that I've read over time and time again, is all of a sudden neon. It's jumbotron right now in my life. You know why that happens? Because the spirit that God has given us, it's a taste. It gives us the desire, the longing to be redeemed and to be with God. But it's only a taste. You ever walk into a grocery store and they got little hors d'oeuvres out front, they want you to try them? And most times I'm like, nah, man, I don't want to try it because it looks like something I wouldn't eat if I was starving. But that's just me. But then there are times you're like, ah, oh, let me try it. Mm-hmm. What is this? Where do I pick this up? Uh, the purpose of that little treat is to introduce you to something to get you to go buy it. 
It's a taste. Anyone in this room who's a believer, your desire for the Lord, the desire for any intimacy with God, the reason why you cry sometimes, the reason why you pray, the reason why you desire to, it's the taste. And because we don't constantly have it, we groan. We say stuff like Maranatha. Miss Lord, please come. It's a taste. So we groan within ourselves. Now, here's the reality. Paul is talking about this as if it's a normal occurrence for the believer. Paul's not saying this is incidental. He's saying this is functional. This is a functional reality for the believer. Listen to how he says it. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. And he says why? Eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So he describes this as a normal occurrence. But for some of us, it needs to be a a question. Do you groan? Do you actually groan? Do you desire to have the fulfillment of God's promises about you, about being with him? Is that something you're really after? Do you do you really care about what God says about you? Is there a longing, a desire to be a part of God's family? This this word adoption just means that God, when we believe in Jesus, has made us sons and daughters. We're family and eventually that family is going to come together. I know people that have adopted someone from a different country and there's a process and they wait and it takes months, sometimes six months, eight months for that child to actually be in the home living with them every day. So they have to take trips and they get a taste of what it would be like to be with this child. And then eventually they get all the paperwork done and the finances are covered and then that child gets to come live with them and that child gets to see what life is like with this new family. That's what adoption is. It's, it's God saying you're now part of the family. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus was doing a bunch of miracles and stuff and his family, his blood relatives were like, man, this dude is crazy right now. Or in other words, we'd be like, man, he is tripping right now. So they showed up where he was and they said, Jesus, your mother, sister and brothers are outside. And he said, who are my mother, sisters and brothers? He said, those who believe in me are my mother, sister and brothers. Those who are believe in me are the family of God. Do you do you desire that to be a reality in your life? Or is the Christian life? And the hope of eternity just so you don't suffer. Do we realize what it means to have redemption in our bodies? First John chapter three, he says this. This is a different author than the one in Romans. This is the apostle John. And he says this in first John three. He says, see what great love the father has given us that we should be called God's children. So that's adoption. And we are, exclamation, excitement. 
The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what will what we will be has not yet been revealed. So he says we're God's children now, but what we will be hasn't been revealed yet. Then he says this. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What a crazy reality that when we see Jesus, it says we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Theologically, this this tension is called the already not yet. So we are this already, but we have not yet experienced it fully. So we live in this tension of the scripture says we're saved if we believe in Christ. Right. But we're not saved until we persevere to the end, though. Right. So this is this is this reality. It's just God because he's outside of time, the space time continuum. He created it. God sometimes speaks according to how we see the world. And then he speaks according to how he sees the world. So God will say stuff like this. You've heard me say this. God will say stuff like this. Don't fear their gods. Don't worship their gods. Because that's the way we understand the world. But God knows there's no such thing as other gods. It's God. It's the Trinity and the devil. That's it. There is no. But God, but he'll speak to us according to how we understand the world. So there are times he talks to us on that level. But there are times he talks to us on a level that we can't get. So by faith, we have to embrace. So he says, we're going to be like in this tension already, not yet. So I live in the middle of this. Yes, this is true already. Yes, if someone says, are you saved? Yes, I should believe I'm going to heaven. But yes, I got to persevere to the end. And that hasn't happened yet. That's the tension. But the imagery, we will see him and be like him. This is what it means to have a redeemed the redemption of our bodies, to, to, to be adopted, to be in the family of God. The question is, do we groan for that? Do we groan for that? If we do not, then we need to pray, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to desire to be with you. In your presence. Why is this important? He says this all in verse 24. He says this. Now in this hope. We were saved. But hope that is not seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with patience. So why is this important? Because he says, in this hope, we were saved. We were saved in this hope. What is he talking about? Well, part of what it means to be saved is to have hope in the unseen truths of God. We're saved in the hope that we're going to be redeemed. Part of what's connected to our salvation is the hope of restoration. It's to fully be inaugurated into God's family. Where when we're all together, we know we're all believers. 
We, there's always that. You think they're a believer? I'm not sure. Especially with relatives. Just, I don't know. They profess faith. But I don't really see the fruit. Sometimes we just don't want to say, well, biblically, no, I don't see it. I want to be gracious. But there's going to come a moment where everybody here is a believer. There is no guessing. You think, oh, well, they say, hey, right there. Looks like you. Looks like we all we look like. What you mean? He's right there. It says in this hope we were saved. Part of our salvation is, and part of our the, the reality of the Christian life is to have hope and unseen truths. Now, why doesn't he say faith? I thought we were saved by faith. And people use faith and hope interchangeably. But biblically, they're not the same thing, though. Biblically speaking. Faith and hope are not the same thing. They work together, but they're not exactly the same thing. They're different words in the Greek. They're not exactly the same thing. They work together, but they're not the same thing. So faith is the believing that something's true. Hope is the waiting for it to happen. So by faith, we believe that what God said is true. And so in hope, we wait for it to reveal itself, to take place. Hope is almost like the obedience of faith. I believe it. So faith, biblically speaking, is I believe it because God says it, even I don't see it. That's biblical faith. Hope is, so I'm going to wait for it. It's the, it's the expectation. It's we waiting to see it. We believe it's true but we need to see it. Faith believes, hope perseveres. So we were, this is what's interesting. We were saved by grace, by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ to hope. To hope until it all becomes reality. Reality by sight. There will come a day when we don't have to have faith because we'll see him. We'll be like him and we'll see the kingdom. We won't have to have faith or hope. Now, Paul gets real practical here. He says this, hope that is seen is not hope. Why? Right? It's the, because it's, because it, listen, my son plays basketball, right? He's got a second game today, 2 o'clock. It's around 1.20. We're going to leave here and go to his game. Can't wait. I love it. Those kids have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> it's fantastic. And my son wants to get better. I love it. He wants to get better. So we're out working, dribbling, practicing all that. He's in the house dribbling all over the place. I love it. So I'm going to take him to the game and sit there and record and just be a dad. Now, if he were to say to his teammates, man, I really hope my dad comes to the game today, they would be like, Mateo, what are you talking about? <laughs> I hope my dad comes to the game today. Uh, he's sitting right there, fam. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, what, why are you hoping your dad comes to the game? He's right, the big dude, right there in the blue shirt. <laughs> That's your dad. He's holding your coat. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because I'm right there. He doesn't have to hope that I'm there because I'm already there. You see, what he's saying here is hope. That is seen is not hope. People don't have hope in heaven. 
because they're with him. They don't have to wait to see him because they saw him. But he's saying here in this life, we have to wait. So hope is a beautiful reality. Because when there is no hope, that means the wait is over. This is to encourage us. This is supposed to encourage us that our hope, the waiting is not in vain. But it should also remind us, it's not just faith. I know a lot of people say they got faith, but they're not waiting for nothing. Which then points back to, I don't know if that's real faith. The definition of faith in the Bible, he says this, Hebrews 11.1. 1, now faith is the, listen to this, the faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen or the evidence. So it's the reality, the belief, what is hopeful, what I'm waiting for. God says it, I believe it, now I'm waiting to see it. This hope is significant because there are things that we're hoping for. The waiting is what we were saved to do. We were saved to not be able to answer every question that people have about Christianity. And there's no shame in that. We were saved to not understand everything. We're not supposed to. We believe it, so we're waiting for it. Remember last week, those who wait, see. Those who wait, see. It's okay for us to not understand it, to not have it figured out. It's okay because we're waiting. We're hoping that we will see it. And the only reason why we have hope, because we have faith that it's true. That is the already not yet tension of every Christian, especially when you suffer especially when you suffer. You know, sometimes we'll come across the Psalms that say, how long, O Lord? That's that hope. That's basically saying, look, my hope is running out. It's getting thin. When is this going to happen? That's real. God understands that. That's why he allowed it to be in his word. He put it there so we can understand that's the reality. Most of the time, what people struggle with is not faith. It's hope. It's a rare occasion, a rare occasion, a rare occasion that people say, I'm struggling. I don't have faith in the Lord. I don't believe this is true. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It does happen. Most of the time when you're talking to people, what they're struggling with is the hope. I'm tired of waiting. The wait feels forever. But we were saved by grace through faith to hope. And what God is doing in this hope is what he says. is teaching us to be eager and wait patiently for it. Do you know a lot of your Christianity is measured by your willingness to hope and wait for the stuff to be true, to persevere? We measure so much Christianity just by, 
like how we respond, like sin and not sinning. And that does, that plays a role. I'm not saying that you just do whatever and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of, but he who perseveres to the end will be saved. There's a lot of hope. And a lot of times what we lose is hope that we're losing the desire to wait and persevere. And once the hope goes and the faith goes right with it eventually. You'll, see, you'll hear people say this stuff like that. I mean, I still believe in God, but. So they still have faith that Jesus is real, exists, and maybe even the right way to go, the person to trust. But the whole part, I don't feel like waiting. I don't feel like giving up what I have to give up. But he says, in this hope, you were saved. This is important. Verse 25. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, eagerly with patience. So you understand what he's saying? God purposely does not allow us to see things so that we hope and wait patiently and eagerly. I tell, we talk about this all the time with people because I, I, what I love is that there are people in this church that want to glorify God. And they're like, man, what do I, I need God to speak. What do I do here? And then they get frustrated, like, I'm not, I feel like I'm not hearing from the Lord. I'm not. And it's like, listen, if God always said do this and do that, then it wouldn't be faith or hope. But God's spirit is in you, knows you want to glorify him, knows what you don't know. He knows what he's not telling you. He knows that you're trying to glorify him. And so he's pleased with that. Sometimes we just make decisions that we think honor the Lord and we see it play out. I, 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 will, I, will, I will die believing this, that God is not going to tell us the majority of things that we're supposed to do Amen. apart from morality. I, I will die. I can't prove it from Scripture, but I don't see it in Scripture. I don't see the apostles being led like that. OK, you got, you know, he appeared to Peter in a vision and stuff like that and Peter in a vision. But a lot of what they did was they just prayed and lived. What did the scriptures say? Because if they didn't, what do you need the scriptures for if everything comes directly from God? And all the people who said it comes directly from God are the people who end up leading people in cultish practices. Don't tell me it came from God to you. If I, if I don't see it in the book, then it's not a good look. That's a bumper sticker. If it ain't in the book, it's not a good look. That's the new bumper sticker. Listen, hope is the lost art of Christianity. It's the lost art. You know, in Mark 4, Jesus talked about the four seeds that landed on the, the, the sown, right? And he says one seed landed on a rock. And he said it sprouted up. But then when trouble became because of the word, it, it, it withered and fizzled out. Those are people who had faith. This is true. And then when, when challenges came, they lost hope. I'm not waiting to see it play out. And then eventually you just walk off. I know people who have walked away from the faith that still know that Jesus is real, but they don't have the hope. But Paul says the hope saves us. It's the hope that we're saved to. It brings us to a place of reality. And this is a lost art in Christianity. You know why? Because everything, especially in our culture, in our day and age, everything is about convenience. 
It's about convenience. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people that knock technology. I, lo I, have tech I love it. I'm fine with it. But most of the technological advances that we all have are about our convenience and about the immediacy of things. Right? They're about convenience and immediacy. They're about comfort. They, 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 and that contributes actually to a lack of patience. I mean, just, just think about the last time your smartphone wasn't working. Frustrated, right? Immediately. It's taking too long to go. So, I, mean, I know people who have complained about suffering because the Wi-Fi is too slow. Wow. Let me pray for you, brother, because, Lord, I pray that you would bless the Wi-Fi and bless it. Man, there are people dying because of Jesus, because they have faith in the Lord. But everything's about convenience. The new car, the new television, the new phone, the new this. Oh, it's faster. It's quicker. Man, this ain't no different than last year's model. You know, this is the first year I didn't get the new iPhone. First year since like in the last 10 years. I was like, I'm not getting it. I'm not even getting it. Oh, bro, you need to get it, man. It's, it, my phone is all, it's doing all right for me right now. But you know why I want it? Because it's new. It's in me. Oh, it might, it might have this one feature that I am trained by the cultural surroundings and my own desires to lack patience because everything that I want is convenient and immediate. But God says, nope, you're going to wait eagerly and be patient for the eternal realities. This is what we do. This hope teaches us to be patient as we wait for it. And sometimes we're going to groan in this life because we've gotten a taste of what it means. We've gotten a taste of what it feels like. Almost every Christian, unless you're brand new, has experienced that. He's been in situations like, man, there was a season of my life it just felt like, was that afraid? I'm on fire for God. Yeah. <laughs> I was on fire. I, it's not sustainable. And it's not supposed to be. What's sustainable is hope. We patiently wait for the eternal realities to come true. And the spirit is in us to help us do that. Proof of it is in verse 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness, weaknesses, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Now, I, I will I will assure you, this is a passage that many people find challenging. It's a passage that people find challenging. I'm talking about theologians, people who know the Greek and all that. So they find a challenge. You can read a number of different commentaries and they'll have different perspectives or different emphasis in this. Let me tell you what I know is not. This is not describing speaking in tongues. Let me just make that clear. This is not describing speaking in tongues. I know people, I know, I know men, pastors who have justified doing that in sermons even because of this passage. I'm sure you've been to a church where he's preaching and God said that the Lord was going to come down and strike on the hot and that's the Lord. The spirit is groaning in me, y'all. Everybody, hey, amen. That's not what it's talking about. It says unspoken groanings, not unintelligible. 
These aren't groanings with, they're not oral groanings. Uh, you, you take whatever you want with that. If you, if you visited and that's your pastor, that's your church, I, was, I don't know him. So I don't, I don't know him. So what does this mean then? What does this mean? Well, one thing we have to look at is Paul starts the verse off saying, in the same way. When the same way, what? In the same way, what? Because this sounds like something different to me. He says, in the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. No, I don't. What does that mean? In the same way, what, where? Because it seems like a different idea. So if we back up to verse 23, which is the, the, the sort of the idea where all this is coming from, he says this, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly, I said that already, we eagerly wait for it with patience. And then he says, verse 26, in the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness. So what is the same way? Well, he uses the word groan. So we know that the spirit helps us in our groanings. And he begins to explain. But I'd like you to consider one other thought. Because a lot of these verses, verses 23, 24, and 25, have an emphasis on not seeing. For we do not see. So this is in the same way, the large emphasis is on we do not see. I think he's getting at this. We do not see the spirit in us groaning for us. In the same way, the spirit groans, but we don't see it. We don't see that spirit do that. So he's telling us that God's given us his spirit. And this is a reality. And it makes perfect sense because the spirit of God knows what it's missing. We don't know what we're missing. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what we're missing, but the spirit of God knows what it's missing. You know, in every true believer, in every true believer, there is a desire to be godlier. In every true believer, there is a heartfelt desire to be godlier. Here's the here's sniff test, as they say. There's a dissatisfaction with your obedience or your spiritual disciplines. Here's the proof. We do a series on prayer. You'll hear many people be like, man, I don't pray as much as I should. Yep. Or you hear a message on prayer or something on reading or memorization and you immediately go to, man. It's a rare occasion. It's like, shoot, this ain't for me. <laughs> I pray sun up and sun down. It's a rare occasion. Most true, almost every true believer is on some level, on some level, dissatisfied with their obedience, 
with their pursuit of the spiritual disciplines. Almost every true believer that I've known is dissatisfied with sin in the world. You read an article of an 11 year old girl who was missing, who they found her body dead. And you just think, oh. Sometimes you don't say anything. You just, man, this world, you just feel it. Sometimes you just are so, I remember I was taking my son to this, uh, this medical facility in Baltimore called Kennedy Krieger. It's for kids with autism. And, and he was getting some tests. And I was, there were a bunch of people coming in with their children. But there was one lady, I was sitting here on this bench, and it was a waiting room, and she was sitting across the room, and her daughter had severe mental health issues. I mean, it was, it was obvious by her actions. And the, 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 there was a man with her, which I thought was maybe the father or a boyfriend, and he was trying to get the kid to calm down, and there was like a play area behind them in the glass, glass, big glass window. And so he took their daughter or her daughter, whoever it was, to that back room behind her, and she just sat there. And I don't normally do this, but I was just, I was looking at her because on one level, I felt some of her challenge. But on another level, my son is not anywhere near where his, her daughter was. And she had a look on her face. She just was staring off, and it was almost as if she was like, this is not what I wanted with my life. She was just distraught. And they called her name once or twice and she didn't answer. And then finally she looked over and said yes. And I just started to pray for her. And I just said, Lord, wow. Just seeing her sorrow, I felt it. And I just wished that her suffering would go away. It made me desire for the restoration of all things. All of us have that, 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 that groaning within us, this dissatisfaction with, this is why, like I said earlier, we cry sometimes when we hear a song. I've sung Great Is My Faithfulness plenty of times, but there are moments when I can't sing it without crying. And I don't know why, because I know this to be true, and I've said this a lot of times, because, because it's the spirit. You see, the groaning of the spirit is not something intelligible. It's, it's the deep sigh. It's deep within us. Now, the reason why I think it's unintelligible, humor me here for a second. In 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul was talking about going up to the third heaven, here's what he said. 2 Corinthians 12, 3 through 4, 3 and 4. He said this. Now, I, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a human being is not allowed to utter. So he's saying, I've been to heaven. And there were inexpressible words. Human beings aren't allowed to utter. That's his understanding. So when he comes back down, he says, I can't 
I can't even tell you because human beings aren't allowed to utter these words. They're inexpressible words. Things that we can't even communicate. And I don't know if it's inability by itself or if it's just it's so majestic we can't communicate it. Now take that reality Paul see this in heaven and now God has put in every believer the spirit of God who knows that reality more so and now the scripture tells us that within us we groan with essentially inexpressible words. I think what the Lord is doing is giving us a foretaste of what Paul saw in heaven and the spirit within us. It's not something that we can even articulate, but there's a longing and a desire for the reality. There's a longing to be with God and we're not supposed to be able to speak it in tongues or articulate it. It's just in us. It's inexpressible for us. So the spirit is the only one that can actually even do that. And that's when the depths of our souls is that we just have this reality. God has placed this in us. And it's this longing. It's this it's this reality of just living in this world. It's the I'm tired. It's the sense that there's more than this. And we we hope that there's more than this and the, the spirit. God, look, God didn't just say, look, you all pray. So I'm going to put my spirit in you and the spirit's going to actually intercede for you. The spirit is going to speak to me on your behalf because you don't always know what to pray. Because you don't even know what you're missing. But the spirit knows where we're headed. And so God says sometimes that spirit is going to speak to God for us. But I don't think it's going to be always obvious to us. I think this passage is meant to encourage believers that there's another layer to even our prayer life. (laughs) That God has given us his spirit that gives us deep groanings that for us, I think, play out in a dissatisfaction. Because we've gotten a taste. We have something in us. All of us know people who are not saved, just like Psalm 73, they just seem to not care about nothing. They just love whatever. They're not bothered by none of the stuff that you're bothered by. But for you, there's this. ah. And like first John said, well, they don't they don't do that because they don't know him. You know him. You believe him. You have his spirit within you. And so there's this longing to be with him so much so that the spirit will actually groan on our behalf, speaking to God for us. This isn't talking about functional prayer that we know. This is something deeper than that. This is why it gets back to remembering what's in the background. Because this glory that will be revealed to us will be partly seen in us as the Spirit manifests itself fully. In our weakness, he says, look, 
The Spirit also helps us in our weakness. I don't think he's talking about sinfulness. He's just talking about humanity. Humanity. Even Jesus, second person of the Trinity, God the Son, comes into a degree of weakness. God doesn't need to sleep or eat. But Jesus humbles himself and becomes into human weakness. So the weakness isn't just about sinfulness. It's about humanity. In our humanity, we do not have the capacity to know what we're missing, to even know how to ask for it. So within us, the spirit speaks to God on our behalf. And for us, we long to continue to fight. We long to obey. Now, this is not about our experience. This is about eternal realities that we will experience. And that's the rub. This isn't describing something that I think we're supposed to experience. But it's, it's within us that helps us to be encouraged to continue to hope for those eternal realities that we will experience. And we can have confidence because of what he says in verse 27. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't always know the will of God. We know morality. But morality doesn't always answer what's the will of God in that situation. Do you leave? Do you stay? Do you do this? Do you do that? We don't always know the will of God. Now, let's be honest. Those are the things that we really, that's the rub for us. Most of the things that we struggle with are not promises that God's made. They're things that we desire that we're tired of hoping for. And we don't even know if we're guaranteed to have those things. We don't always know what the will of God is, but the spirit does. And because God knows his own spirit, this is why I said, listen, God knows that you're trying to honor him. There are going to be times where you're going to have to make decisions, and you've had this, that you're not going to hear from the Lord in the way that you think. And it's not the absence of God's spirit or somehow a displeasure towards you. His spirit is already interceding for you. The longing that you have to honor the Lord is what he sees. And that pleases him. Now, I'm not saying never pray and expect the Lord to give you direction. But I'm saying if, the, if you think that's the only way to live, then the Lord, then that's not faith. And that's not hope. There are times where it's like, all right, Lord, on our wedding day, on our wedding day, August 29th, 2004. I was cutting up in the background with my, I had 10 groomsmen. Mm-hmm. I'm a gangster. We was cutting up. <laughs> and my wife had to, she had as many, but because I had many, she was like, I wanted more. She was like, no. So I was like, all right. You know, it's not a fight that you're willing to fight. 10 is enough. For her. And I'm out. I'm ready to go. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited. But you know, my wife, she quietly prayed, Lord, all right, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that this is the man that I'm supposed to marry. 
and that this is your will. And our challenge was her family did not want her to marry someone black. My wife is Hispanic. We had a lot of challenges. As a matter of fact, the majority of her family did not show up at the wedding. The majority. Many of those people we haven't seen the majority of our almost 16 years of marriage. So she wrestled with, man, is this the Lord's will if my family's not for it? I said, well, most of your family aren't believers. But she wrestled and she said, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you that this is who you have me marry and that we're going to live to honor you and so forth. And then she came down the aisle. That was on our wedding day. She didn't know for sure if it was the will of God. She had, okay. It wasn't like the Lord said, it wasn't like no, Mary Kurt. <laughs> Shoot, I wasn't nobody's preference. But I got ganged though. That's a different, that's a different message. It's a different message. We'll talk about that another time. Men's meeting guys, we'll talk about that. You can make them laugh, they're yours. There's no woman out of your league. That's a different conversation. There's always going to be, Lord, I trust you. I don't have as confident as what the word says, but I trust you. And there are days my wife was surely like, Lord, was this the right decision? But the reality is you make decisions in faith and we live in hope. But the hope are for the eternal realities. Their eternal sense, they're like, okay, this is true. Persevere to the end. So brothers and sisters, your suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to you. So don't live obligated to the flesh, but be willing to suffer with Christ and groan until he says, home, for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, this reality that your spirit is the first fruits, that it groans, it intercedes on our behalf. You, you show that you didn't, just, you didn't just suffer for us. You suffer with us, in us. As you groan, speaking things that we can't, words that can't be articulated, but but we, we sense it. We sense it when we long to glorify. We, we long to have that, that, that sweet, quiet time. Or we long to feel the, to believe the truths of your words when sometimes we just struggle to believe and trust in you. We are like, though the, like the psalmist in the first half of Psalm 73 where he, he observes everything he sees and wonders if he made the right decision. But by your grace, you... You've given us a spirit that gives us hope 
And so you've given us faith to believe it's true, but we live in the hope. We wait for it to be a seen reality. Father, you know the times that we live in. As we've previously heard, we couldn't choose. We didn't choose our suffering. We just chose to suffer. And in those moments where we are suffering, by your grace, it's not all suffering. But there are moments when it is, and that cross is heavier than usual to carry. We thank you that you've not left us. When you said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, you weren't just talking about your omnipresence, that you're everywhere. You were talking about your specific presence, that you're in us. Your spirit is in us. And it allows us to not be satisfied with this world or our sinfulness or our sin in the world or whatever. We just, we want that moment. Father, I pray that you would refresh each of us this week with just a sweet moment of your presence. Just give us another taste of you. Encourage our souls, Lord. And I pray for any who are wavering, who have felt like, I don't want to hope, tired of hoping. The allure of the flesh, attitudes and actions, habits and patterns that are, seem stronger or more desirable than you, where they're supposed to be on some level because that's the test. Help us, help them to see what's really going on. That this isn't about a habit or a pattern. This is about eternity with you. This isn't about our experience. This is about us hoping to experience eternal realities. And that only can happen because Jesus, you died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. So as we take communion together, we remember those of us who are believers in you. You said those who believe in you should remember the sacrifice of your body being nailed to the cross and your blood dripping from your body as your back was ripped open, as a, as a spear was stuck in your side. Where blood and water come out. Your blood was shed so that we could be saved by your grace, through faith in you, to hope for eternity, till eternity. May this communion, this, this day, may it remind us, may it glorify you, and may you be pleased. May we be encouraged to continue to hope and to groan at times because we're waiting. We've tasted. It's better than this. And we look forward to the moment when it's always better than what it was. For your glory and our good, in your name we pray, amen.